0: Well, good morning, good morning. Grab a seat, and uh, the Lord is in this place, amen? amen? Praise, praise God. If you have a Bible, we're gonna be in Acts chapter six this morning, so grab your Bible, get to Acts chapter six. Uh, we are in a series in the book of Acts. Um, also, additionally, if you didn't know, our community groups are also walking through the book of Acts together, and so one of the things that is even shared with me this morning um, was how helpful it was to both go through uh, the acts on Sunday morning, but then ask more detailed questions in small groups. So if you're not in a community group, it is time to jump in. You can sign up online, jump into one of those community groups. They're absolutely amazing, really life-changing to have the Word of God talked about in community and growing Um, alongside one another. My name is Kevin Bear. I'm the lead pastor here at Bayou City Tomball. So if we haven't met personally, let me just say welcome to Bayou City. We have an amazing, amazing community, and it is better with you here. So thank you for joining us this morning. So Acts chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Let me read for us, pray, and then we will continue with the word. Starting in verse 1 says this. Whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they had said was pleasing to the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Achanor, and Timon, not from the Lion King, and Parmenius, took a little long for that to, to okay, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. And they sat before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. And Lord, thank you so much for a picture of the early church. The early church that walked through their own difficulties, their own challenges, their own conflicts, their own realities. And so, Lord, I thank you that you give us a realistic picture of what it looks like to grow, to go through the challenges of growth. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open up your word and we look at this particular moment in the life of the early church, we would both evaluate ourselves and evaluate our church. How are we growing? How are we moving through the conflicts that come into the body of Christ? And Lord, by your grace and your wisdom, I pray that we would be people that respond in the way that the apostles responded. The new leaders would rise full of the, full of the spirit of... Um, Of truth, the spirit of wisdom, so that we could care for one another well and not neglect what you're calling us to do. So, Lord, I lift up up this time to you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, there's no more frustrating time in life than when your perfect dream is confronted with reality. When perfection hits reality, when your ideal hits the real, there's no more frustrating time in life. And all of us hit that in different moments of life. And and, and it usually centers upon your stage of life. So I remember when you were in junior high, like go back eons ago when you were in junior high. What was your hope as a 13, 14-year-old kid when you were in eighth grade? What was your hope? I can't wait to leave these losers and get off to high school, right? Because then all of my problems of the past will go away. I can't wait to just get to that next place. And so when you were in high school, let's just go back those eons. When you were in high school, uh, what was your hope once you graduated high school? I can't wait to get out of here and start making my own money and making my own decisions and get away from my parents. Like, like then I go, and then everything will be great once I have a job once I can make my own income, once I can make my own decisions, and then that's your ideal and your picture, I mean, that's gonna be perfect. And, and then those first bills come and you're just like, does it really cost as much to live here? <laughs> do I still have to, do I have to pay for my own?" Yeah, like all, everything that hits you and then in different life stages, every life stage you face, there's a picture of hope and there's reality of what you hit. And every one of us goes through that in every stage of life, no matter what situation we are in life. We look across the aisle at this other person in this other place and we say, once I get there, then everything will be all right. Like once I go there, then it will be perfect. And, and there's really two ways we look at this. There, there's an over-appreciation um, of what's not yet or, or an overvalue of what was, so we either look forward and say, hey, once I'm there, then everything will be all right, right? So once I'm in that next stage of life, or once I get if I could somehow get back there, then everything would be better. In fact, most of us look at the early church with that kind of nostalgic persona. Like, once I get back to the early church, can't we just get back to the early church? Then everything will be perfect. Let me just tell you about the early church. They had the same conflicts that you have and that we have. They had the same struggles that you have and what we have, and they had to walk through the same challenges of life like you have to walk through your challenges of life, and the real issue is this, how do we walk through these challenges well? How do we walk through the struggles of reality well in the Christian life? That's the real tension, and, and that's really what it is, is Tensions. Sometimes there's problems to solve and sometimes there's tensions to manage. So how do you manage the tensions of your life? Because all growth, all growth requires tensions. All growth requires tensions. So how do I manage the tensions that come into my life? Well, there's typically a couple ways that we manage these tensions. One is that we run away. We assume That once I escape the tension, then all my problems will go away. So that's one thing that people do. And so they they get a new job or they get a new spouse or they get a new kid. I don't know. What what, what do you do? Like, hey, I'm I'm mad. I'm going to go get something else, right? So there's tensions that you do. And sometimes it's to escape the situation. But as soon as you hit eject enough times, you realize that once you get to that next place, whatever that next place is, after you've hit eject several times, what you realize is, oh, no, there's conflict in this place, too. And so running actually isn't the solution. The healthy thing to do is to go into the situation and say, Lord, how can I grow in the place you've put me? How can I become the man or woman I need to be so that I can navigate these circumstances in a way that honors you and that's helpful to them? How do I walk through this tension in life well, and that's what we're going to see in the early church. So here's what we're going to look um, at the early church. So I'm going to give you three big movements that applies to the early church. It applies really to all churches of how to manage tensions in life. And with these applications, I think you'll find out how these same challenges can give you some insight to manage your own tensions in life. So what are the three things that we see? We see what pulls a movement off mission. We see three things that pull a movement off mission. Secondly, we're going to see what keeps us on mission, what keeps us focused in the right direction. And number three, we're going to see what keeps a church growing. How do we continue to grow in a healthy way? So, the first thing we're going to look at is this what pulls a church off mission? And here's what it says in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, A complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. What pulls a church, a movement, your life off mission? Oftentimes, sometimes, it comes because of a good thing it's growth. Like more people were coming to faith in Christ. And as you see all throughout the early part of the book of Acts, you see that 3,000 people were saved in a day when Peter preached his amazing sermon when the Spirit fell in Acts chapter 2. You see that people are continuing to come to faith and they grew another thousand people, a couple thousand people as they're going along. And so they're having all of this healthy, amazing growth. But every time something grows, tensions arise. It creates a fracture. It creates a moment for for those, those little things that are not quite right within the community to come to the surface. So there's some fractures there in place. And so the first fracture that we see is internal conflict. Internal conflict. What pulls a church off mission? Well, one of those factors is this, internal conflict in the congregation, It says something that happened, there was grumbling and complaining that arose between two groups in the early church. And it describes them this way, there was Hebrews and what they call Hellenists, and you're like, what what do those words even mean? Well, Hebrews uh, means this, they were Jewish people of Jewish background that likely lived in Jerusalem. That's where the early church started. All of this centered around Jerusalem, uh, somewhere between 33 and 37 AD. All of these events are occurring in Jerusalem. And so you have Jewish people of Jewish background that have come to faith in Jesus Christ that are right there. And then you have this other group. They call them Hellenists. That basically means Greek-speaking. Greek-speaking people from Greek culture. They were often from what was called the diaspora, people that had been taken away from Israel but had learned Greek, been raised in Greek culture, but had come to faith in Jesus Christ and were now part of this new church community. So they were culturally different than the people that were in Jerusalem. They spoke a different language. They have a different culture and customs. And so they're coming to faith and they're in this moment when they're in this community. Now, what would happen, what was amazing in the early church is that as people were coming to faith, they were being generous with with their possessions, and so they would come to the church, they would, they, some people were selling land and giving it to the church, laying it at the apostles' feet, and they were taking that money, taking that income, and they were using it to care for people within the community. Um, often in the, in, in the, in the old, um, in the ancient world, the most destitute of destitute were the widows, women who did not have a husband, who had lost their husband for any number of reasons. And so women were often destitute. The word for widow uh, is the word uh, often translated forsaken. So it's, it's women that were unable to provide for themselves. Now, in the Jewish, the Jewish synagogue, they had a great way of caring for those that could not provide for themselves. It was that the synagogue came and gave money to them. But because these people were becoming Christians... They no longer likely could get money from the Jewish synagogue, and so the church was looking to care for the orphan and the the widow in particular in this situation. And so they have money, they have food, and they're distributing it to different people, but some tension arose because it felt like people were playing favorites. It felt like they were caring for the Jewish people, but not the Greek-speaking people. There was a cultural divide that caused a tension to rise. Imagine such an environment. A cultural divide that caused tensions to rise. See, it happened in the early church. It's not new in our day and age. When there's different cultures with different values, tensions can arise. And, and what, what happened is there began some grumbling, murmuring. That word in, in, uh, in Greek is an onomatopoeia. It just basically means like murmur, 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 murmur. So they start murmuring and grumbling. And they start complaining to one another. And what's what's fascinating in this moment is, is how is the early church going to respond? There's division in the community. How is the early church going to respond? Richard Baxter, a Puritan preacher, says this, he that is not a son of peace is not a son of God. And all other sins destroy the church consequently. But division." And separation, demolish it directly. not that fascinating? He says all other sins are kind of tangential and they hurt the church. But division, separation in the community, that, that hits it directly. So how is the early church going to respond to this moment? That's the tension that's going to arise. And everyone has some opinions on what the, the apostles should do. And in every conflict, every situation, there's opinions that what you ought to do in this situation. Here's how you should solve the solution. And there's, there's no small amount of opinions that are being leveled at the apostles in this motion. What are you going to do to solve this issue? And you read what they say in verse 2. It says this And the 12 summoned a full number of disciples, and they said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word to serve tables. Here's the first thought that came to their group as they're saying this. They're, they're like, this is the problem. This needs to be dealt with. But it's not right for us to give up preaching and the ministry of the word to serve tables. Now that's that's a very interesting tension that they're saying. What's the responsibility of the church? What's the responsibility of believers? For some people say, no, the the responsibility of the church is to care for the needs, and that is a responsibility of the church, but it's not the only responsibility of the church. So it seems that some people are rising up and saying, you know what you should do, apostles? Stop preaching the word. That's a waste of time. Start caring for people. And it seems that there's a tension within there. Hey, don't focus your energy on, on preaching and prayer. Don't worry about that. Why don't you just go care for people? And the apostles have this tension. They're going, okay, are we going to... To abandon what we feel like we're called by Jesus to do, to continue to preach the word and pray, to go and serve at tables and meet this felt need. That's a very real tension. And at this moment, they're having to to figure out, okay, what are we going to do? What are our values going to be? What's our primary purpose that we're called to? It's coming into question. Thomas Carlyle says this, the person without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder. And if you don't know your purpose, you're gonna let every conflict redirect how you act. You're gonna let every tension redirect what you should do. That's a problem. And what we do is we end up running around trying to put out fires, right? I'm gonna put out that fire, someone's complaining. I'm gonna put out that fire, someone's complaining. If you don't have a purpose, the immediate need will get your immediate action, but not your most important purpose. What they call it in, in, in secular world is mission drift, And that's the second tension that can happen. Not only internal conflict, but mission drift. People with other missions starting to pull you in a different direction. That's the second thing that can pull us off the mission of God, is mission drift. Missing our central purpose. And this happens all throughout, um, really, our, our universities, There's a famous university, I'm gonna name in a second, but here's the starting point. Here was uh, their mission statement at the start of the university. It said this, to be plainly instructed and consider consider well that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. In their book called Mission Drift, they're quoting this statement from this university. To be instructed to consider the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. Well, what university would have that as their mission statement? Founded in 1636, the university employed Christian professors exclusively and Christian policies at their their base. The school served as a bastion of academic excellence and Christian direction. But the mission statement, as these authors say, wasn't from Dallas Theological Seminary or Wheaton College, it was from Harvard University. Only 80 years from its founding, Harvard's identity was shifting. And a new group of, of leaders, of, of England pastors, um, sensed that Harvard was moving away from those original intents. And so they started a second school uh, with, Cotton, with clergymen Cotton Mather and others, and it was Yale University. And at a point, they continued to drift and drift and drift away from those those Christian foundations, and now Harvard University, University, and so great institutions, so great places to learn, but Christianity is not the basis of their mission. There was a, a drift that can occur. And how does that happen? Well, their book talks about it. Pressures, pressures for, for money, pressures for different things can pull you off direction to make small compromises that you end in a place that you never started from. It happens to all of us. Those pressures can cause us to move our focused mission into something different. And thirdly, the third thing that can pull us off mission is to outsource the call. Charles Swindoll in his his commentary, or his book on, on Acts, says the third problem is this professionalism, where we hire people to carry the burdens of the congregation that they should voluntarily carry together. The attitude of professionalism prefers to send money rather than people into the mission field. It's easier to hire an evangelistic pastor than to expect him and expect him to do all the evangelizing than it is to hire someone to staff to train and lead volunteers, lead the congregation into that purpose of ministry. See, the, the, the second thing is I can outsource my responsibility to serve the call of God. And, and we do this in all our other areas of life. That's why it's a tension within the church, so uh, I bring my car to a mechanic to fix it, right? I bring my kids to private lessons to teach them how to do a sport. Um, I bring my dog to the dog trainer because I have no clue how to train this dog. I go to Chick-fil-A because they make the best chicken sandwiches. And so like I go to these different places and they do things for me. And many of us, we take that same tension and we bring it into our Christian life. We we professionalize the Christian life and so we show up at church, or we show up at opportunities and we say, I hope the professional makes me into who I need to be instead of training me and equipping me so that I can fulfill the ministry God has given to me. Ah, that's a different value. So those are the things that can pull us off mission. So how do they overcome it? These are the tensions that are arising in the early church. How do they overcome it? What keeps us On mission. Here's what it says in verse four. But verse four, but we, the apostles, will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. The apostles determined, okay, there are real needs and there are things that need to be done, but we have to focus on our first and primary call and that's to preach and pray for the church and the movement of God. That's where we're gonna spend our time. That's where we're gonna spend our energy. Jesus had this same tension in his own life. In Luke chapter four, there was amazing things happening in the early ministry of, of Jesus. Luke chapter four, it says this: Now, when the sun was setting, all those who were sick and had various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on them, and every one of them was and he healed every one of them. And demons also came out of many, saying, "You are the Son of God." but he rebuked them and would not allow them to continue to speak and so you see Jesus doing this amazing ministry this amazing healing this service to people and it is good that is part of the responsibility of the church but then it says on the next day verse 42 it was the next day and he departed and went to a desolate place and the people sought him and came to him and and it would have kept him from leaving them but he said I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well For I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of all of Judea. So what keeps us on mission? It means we gotta know why we're sent. We gotta know our purpose in this place. A clear mission focus. There's a... An example of this, of how to determine what is my mission, what are my priorities in life, and it's called um, the Eisenhower Matrix. And so I, have a, I have a picture of it. You've probably seen this, and it's, it's, it's kind of contrasting um, the urgent and important things. I have it, I should have it in there. Um, the Eisenhower, there we go, the Eisenhower Matrix. And here's how they line it out. They said, look, there, there's all these pressures that we, we have in life. And some of them are urgent and important. That's kind of the way they, they categorize it. There's, and they do a little matrix, say, hey, there's urgent, not urgent, there's not important and important items um, to, to determine. What do I value and why do I spend my time? Well, they say, for the urgent, important items, do those immediately. For the not urgent, but the important items, plan that. In fact, they, they, they would say, that's where you should spend most of your time, not constantly putting out fires, but focusing on the most important things. For the the things that are, they call them not important, that doesn't quite apply to what we're saying, but they say maybe less important but but urgent to delegate those. But the things that are not urgent and not important, you punt on those. You get rid of them. And all of us in life, we have to ask the question, how am I going to allocate the few hours that I have in my day, the few hours that I have in my week, how am I going to focus on these priorities in life? Personally, here's how I put my list together of priorities. Jesus is first, the top of my priority list. I spend my time focused on Jesus, my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Under that is my family. Under that is my job. Under that is ministry. And everything else falls under those things. And when I start getting those things out of order, I see my life going awry. You have to have a clear focus on what your mission in life is. What has God called you to do and prioritize? And when those things get flipped out of proportion, life starts coming unraveled. And he said, we have to focus on the preaching of the word, just like Jesus called us to do. And then the second piece that's needed, how it keeps us on mission, is a rising mission force. A rising mission force. See, serving the tables was still a need. The church has a responsibility to care for the orphan and widow in their distress. As it says by James, it's still a vital need. So how is it that we move to meet those needs? Acts 6.5 says this. Now, what they'd said pleased the whole gathering. So what did they say? They said, choose for yourselves seven men full of the Holy Spirit, and full of wisdom, and set them to distribute the food. And here's what's fascinating about the people that they chose. They chose seven men filled with the Holy Spirit. They chose Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenius and Nicholas. What's fascinating about these people is you look at all of their names, here's what's interesting about them. They're all Greek. They're all Greek names. The issue was coming from that community of Greek-speaking people. And so they picked quality individuals that spoke the language, that knew the culture, to move in and meet the need. So Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. Philip plays a crucial role in the early church. We'll see him um, in a couple weeks. Uh, Nicholas, that we think that it's possible that, he, that a church movement began from Nicholas. Not every one of these people is known all throughout um, church history, but you see that these people were Greek men that moved in to care for their people. That's really, really fascinating. And what are the qualities they looked for? They didn't just look for Greek speakers. They didn't say, who's available? Look at the qualities that they looked for. Who were these rising leaders? What do they have within them? It says the first had a good reputation, a good witness, a, a good martyreo. That's fascinating. The word martyreo just means witness, someone that testifies about something. It's fascinating that Stephen will be a martyr that dies for his testimony a little bit. A good martyreo, a good spokesman. It says people that are full of the Holy Spirit. It means they have a deep sense of who God is for them and they've grown deeply in the knowledge of the Lord and they're full of wisdom. Hey, there's conflict in the community. We don't need just anyone. We need people full of wisdom to step in and help navigate the scenario. And what's fascinating about the early church, we never hear this as an issue again. It's because they handled this really, really well. So what do you need in your conflicts in life? You need quality people of good reputation to step in. You need people full of the Spirit and people full of of wisdom so what does it look like in our community in our context there will continue to be conflicts within our community within our church how do you know that kevin you're just you're being like a naysayer no no, no. like we're people we're sinners you're a sinner me too we're going to misunderstand one another we're going to say things that hurt one another I'm so sorry. I'm going to disappoint you as your pastor. I'm, so, I'm going to apologize right now. I'm so sorry. But what do we need? We need people with humility, of good reputation, full of the spirit, and full of wisdom that are willing to work to reconcile. That's what the church needs. You know what you need in your marriage, in your marriage conflict? Kevin, you're getting very personal. Yes? You need quality people that are full of the spirit and full of wisdom. That might be you or it might be some men and women in your life that can speak into your life. You know what you need in your work conflict? You need quality people full of the spirit and full of wisdom to help move in. These are the people. I'm so thankful in my life. I have some men that I trust deeply. Deeply. That speak into me. I have some issues that, are, that arise. I have these folks like, hey, help speak into this. You're, you're a quality individual. You're full of the spirit. You're full of wisdom. Help me navigate this scenario. I texted several of them about like a two weeks ago. Hey, speak into this. Help me think through this better. We need those in our lives. And you know what? We have those people here in this community. We have those people here in this community. We want to walk alongside, and we want to help you navigate your conflicts well. And lastly, what keeps the church growing? What keeps this community moving in the right direction? Look at verse 7. Chapter 6, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem— And a great many of the priests became obedient to faith. How does the church continue to grow? How does this church continue to grow in a healthy way? How how does the church continue to move forward in their mission? There's an internal responsibility and an external responsibility for all of us. How does the church continue to grow in a healthy way? There's an internal responsibility and an external responsibility. The first way that it grows is they, they really handled their internal issues well. They had these quality people that moved in to help bring peace, to help speak the truth, and to solve the conflicts that are there. That's what's needed in our community. Wise people that can move in when there's conflicts, speak the truth in and love, and, and help internally to solve and meet the needs of our people. And just so you know, we have a church that values our, our, our missions, one of our mission statements is to help... Um, Um, people to be a a church in this city that meets needs. And we want to do that well. And we have quality individuals as part of our benevolence team that if you have needs in the community, bring them forward and we'll do what we can to help walk alongside you. That's one of our desires as a church. We want to meet those needs. We want to care for one another individually. And so if you have a need, come forward. We want to help come alongside you. Um, Also, just to show you some needs, I'll tell you one of the needs that we have in our church. You ready for this? Oh no, Kevin. Y'all have needs that you're gonna talk about? Yes. Here's our need. One of the needs that we have, and I've, I've heard every church that I've been at have the same problem or challenge. We need help in our junior high ministry. We have amazing junior high students that we wanna help walk with the Lord. Right? Yes? yes? We want them to know Jesus, yes? Yes? We want them to have some wise, quality people full of the spirit and wisdom to walk alongside them in their life stage, right? How's God gonna provide those people? Prayer. Prayer. And you. And you. Some of you, um, that's your call. How can I help this church and that need to help those kids. That might be for you. Some of those are internal, resolving conflict with people in your own life, challenges to step into. Secondly, externally, why does the church continue to grow and continue to move? It's because these people are reaching out and they're talking about what God's doing here they're going to their communities. They're going to their neighborhoods. They're going out to their workplaces. And they're talking about what God is doing in that place. That's why people are hearing about It's because these winsome people are going into their community and culture. These winsome people can't stop talking about the amazing things that God is doing in their life. And we see Stephen, full of grace and power, doing great wonders and signs, and there arose a, a, an issue against him and they're bringing a charge against him. We'll look more about that next week. And as they bring that charge against him, as they start levying attack against Stephen, look at what they say. They couldn't, they couldn't speak against him. They couldn't stand against his wisdom. In verse 15, as they're bringing their charges against him, they gazed at him and all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. These men, as they stood against accusers, preaching the word of God, telling about Jesus, as they're looking to attack them, they're also going, but there's something so different about you. There's something so special about you. Looking at you is like looking in the face of an angel. You know why they impacted their communities? It's because they didn't come just hard with truth, although they spoke the truth in love. They spoke it with Grace and God honoring conviction, a boldness that was so attractive to the community. You know how God's gonna to continue to grow Bayou City Fellowship in a healthy way? When we look internally to say, how can we navigate the conflicts? How can we meet the needs of the community right here? And then when we move externally with the love of Jesus Christ, with the wisdom that Jesus gives us, And we move into a culture rife with strife with the love of the Lord. And that's what our community needs. Amen? They need men and women like you, full of the spirit and full of wisdom that can speak love in a contentious world. The world needs the church. So let me ask you a couple questions. Number one, is there any unresolved conflict in your life? Are there tensions that are always kind of on the back burner? And, and for some of you, you just look to avoid or hit eject and, or move away from that tension. Are there unresolved tensions in your life? And let me tell you about those unresolved tensions. You, you may not be able to go back to what the relationship was. That may be Impossible. But you can move with the grace of Jesus Christ, own your wrong, ask for forgiveness and move forward. You can do that. And maybe you might need a wise man or woman alongside you to help give you some guidance in that. If that's you, we want to help you with that. For others of you, before you move out into the world and try to be one that reconciles, the first reconciliation you need is a a changed life with Jesus Christ. Before you move to fix out there, there's something internally that you need fixed. You've actually never put your faith alone in Christ alone for the forgiveness of your sins. That's what this entire thing is about. These people changed by Jesus moving into the world. So secondly, have you ever put your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins? He changes you so that you become the man or woman that's full of the spirit. He puts the spirit in you, teaches you in all wisdom so that you can move wisdom have you come to Jesus Christ we have an opportunity right now to celebrate communion communion is that amazing moment when Jesus stood with his disciples and said I want to give you a, a remembrance of what I've done for you all the conflicts of our world were solved on the cross of Christ all of them Every sin you committed is fully forgiven in Jesus Christ. Every sin that you bear the weight of that was committed against you, it's also forgiven in Jesus Christ. And by his wounds, we can be healed. So as we celebrate communion in this moment, I just want you to take a moment and prepare your hearts. What issues are left unresolved in your hearts? And would you take a moment right now, would you take the brave step to ask Jesus for forgiveness for whatever those tensions are? Brothers of you, you've never put your faith in Jesus, so just take a moment in the quietness of your heart and you could pray a simple prayer like this. Jesus, I know, I've blown it in so many ways. I'm asking you to forgive me Put me in right relationship with you. Because with you, I can walk a new life. So why don't you just take a moment, let the spirit work in your heart, is now, and then I'll lead us in communion in a second. Again, open your elements when you're ready. the night Jesus was betrayed he gathered with his disciples he took bread and he broke it he handed it to each one of them he said this is my body broken for you do this in remembrance of me let's take the bread together and he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. It's been poured out for you. Do this in remembrance of me. let take the cup. Well, Jesus, we thank you that you died in our place for our sins to forgive us of every sin that we have committed to heal us from every sin that's being committed against us Lord thank you that through all the tensions of life you're there through all the struggles of life you're there through all the challenges that we face in life you're there Lord, I thank you that you have called us to yourself to be your chosen people, to be a holy nation that can speak the love of Jesus Christ to the world, that can navigate the conflicts in our own lives by the power of your spirit. So Lord, I pray that you'd make us into men and women that are deeply changed so that we can spread healing to a hurting world.